Talk Radio. Welcome back to Fundamentally Mormon. I'm your host, Mark Lichtenwalter. This is part of Zion's Redemption Radio Network. Today we're going to be reading Chapter 3 of Polygamy in the Bible. We'll be on pages 14 to 22. The title of the chapter is Lamech, Guilty or Not Guilty. Listen to the reader portion of the program first, and then I'll open up the phone lines for the commentary portion of the program. Anyone with questions on polygamy can call in during that time. The guest call-in number is 917-889-8827. That's 917-889-8827. The reader portion of this program will be about 17 minutes long. And then we'll get into the reading and commentary portion of the program. Thanks for listening. Lamech, Guilty or Not Guilty, Chapter 3 of Polygamy in the Bible, pages 14 to 22, and said to the judges, Take heed what you do, for you judge not for man, but for the Lord, who is with you in the judgment. 2 Crone 19.6 A questionable controversy exists in the life of the Bible's first recorded polygamist. His name is Lamech. To properly judge this man, and what he did, requires a little sleuthing. Through the history and deductions of biblical scholars, information can be obtained as to Lamech's character, which can help in our justly condemning or approving of his actions. The first uncertainty of Lamech's life is in his lineage. In chapter 5 of Genesis there is a line of genealogy from Adam and Seth down to the sons of righteous Noah listing about a dozen of some of the most noble men that ever lived. Included in this record is Lamech, the father of Noah. He lived to be 777 years old and witnessed many important events of that time. Lamech is also mentioned in Genesis chapter 4 as being a descendant of Cain. Among these accomplishments were mentioned the killing of a young man and the taking of two wives. Some scholars suggest that the Lamechs of Genesis 4 and 5 were identical, as is mentioned in the following references. 15. According to some critics, the Canaanite Lamech of Genesis 4 and the Sephardite Lamech of Genesis 5 were originally identical, with the two genealogies coming from one common legend or source. 
the J document, CH. Four preserved one variant list and the P document, CH. Five preserved another. Zoned Irvin's Encyclopedia of the Bible, Volume 3, 862. It is interesting to compare this passage with the Canaan genealogy in four. Here we have nine generations, there six. Omitting the first three names in CH. Five, we find that of the remaining two, Enoch and Lamech, are identical with names in CH. Four, while there are close similarities in the rest. It is difficult to escape the suggestion that we have two dissensions of one and the same genealogy, diverging at an early period, and current in different circles, yet both springing from the same source. Happened in Babel Commentary, p. 225. Therefore, according to this information, these two Lamechs should be considered as the same person. However, it seems more probable, after closely studying these two chapters of Genesis, that there were two different and distinct individuals named Lamech, coming through two different lineages. Both probably lived polygamy, but the written account in Genesis 4.19 of the taking of two wives pertains to the Cain of Lamech. So let's look further into his life and experiences. There are only seven verses in the Bible from which we can draw the life story of this Lamech. As 16 previously mentioned, he was the first recorded polygamist, but there probably were others before him even though there is no record of them. There were thousands of monogamists, too, but there is almost no mention of them specifically. From the creation of man to the time of the flood m a span of 1600 years m we could probably not list many over a dozen who were recorded monogamists. It is because of such gaps in biblical history that it is difficult to draw many absolute convictions. To judge a man like Lomek, we must look into all the facts, incidents and pieces of evidence, just as a master criminal lawyer must do. As in many court cases today, the final verdict often comes as a surprise. The case against Lumek may be a similar case. For centuries men have labeled Lumek with the twin crimes of murder and adultery, but we shall present his case with a court of last resort in his defense. There may be more to this man's lifestyle than meets the eye and dash especially to those who have been so quick to judge him because of his polygamy. Lamech made this comment to his two wives, I have slain a man to my wounding, and a young man to my hurt. General 423, many people who read this, immediately assume that he was a murderer and an adulterer n-lying the two together as that twin crimes of Lamech. But to assume that Lamech is guilty of murder, and therefore his polygamy was necessarily evil, too, is poor reasoning. If we would take this attitude, we could say that Adam, who supposedly was a monogamist, committed a sin that brought death to all mankind. Therefore, monogamy is evil. Or, Cain who was a monogamist and killed his brother shows that monogamy is also evil. 
17, but let us gather a little more insight into Lamech's character and attitude concerning this allegation of murder. We will call upon the renowned Dr. Martin Luther, who gives a justification for this killing by Lamech. Lamech's very words show that he was a proud person who did not grieve over the murder he had committed but even gloried in it as a righteous cause, and he had a righteous cause for the murder. Furthermore, Lamech tried to defend himself by establishing a law which would prove that he had a just cause for the murder he committed. Luther's Works, Volume 1, 322 Luther is assuming that since a man was killed by Lamech, that it must have been a murder, although he recognizes a hint of self-justification for the killing. He also indicates that there was, or should be, a law to justify the killing of that young man. To help solve this mystery, we shall take the testimony of Dr. Adam Clark, who is perhaps recognized as the foremost scholar of biblical history. Clark admits that the few verses and sayings of Lamech are controversial and his speech is very dark, but his analysis and interpretation provide a very revealing and important summary. The verse in question reads, I have slain a man to my wounding, and a young man to my hurt. But according to Dr. Clark, it should be read, I have slain a man for wounding me, and a young man for bruising me. This would be a reason for Lamech killing the young man. Dr. Clark continues to explain that Lamech had originally put this incident down into a poem, which probably would have read, 18, and Lamech said unto his wives, Adder and Scylla, hear you my voice. Wives of Lamech, hearken to my speech. For I have slain a man for wounding me, and a young man for having bruised me. If Cain shall be avenged sevenfold. Also Lamech 17.7. Clark's Bible Commentary, Volume 1.62. Continuing, Dr. Clark explains. It is supposed that Lamech had slain a man in his own defense, and that his wives being alarmed lest the kindred of the deceased should seek his life in return. To quiet their fears he makes this speech in which he endeavors to prove that there was no room for fear on this account. For if the slayer of the willful murderer, Cain, should suffer a sevenfold punishment, surely he, who should kill Lamech for having slain a man in self-defense, might expect a seventy-sevenfold punishment. Clark's Bible Commentary, Volume 1, 62 This clarifies the seventy-sevenfold punishment that Lamech was talking about. There is apparently no other explanation as the meaning of that verse. So it is evident that the poem had a literal and correct translation. Lamech, therefore, had a justifiable reason for what he did. It is interesting to look at the early history of sin and its consequences upon man. 19a The first sin of the Bible was eating forbidden fruit. The penalty was death pain, sorrow and weeds. The effect still lingers on. 1. The second sin was Cain's killing Abel. The consequence was his being a fugitive, a vagabond, and the earth would not yield its strength, and his children would also suffer the same consequences. 1. 
the next supposed sin was that of Lamech's having two wives. Polygamy already showed up in the first book of the Bible, and as early as the fourth chapter. But the good book is silent about this being a sin. In those early days, God would bless or punish his children as soon as they obeyed or disobeyed his commandments. It was particularly important that he do so, since so many generations thereafter would use those histories as a guide. Since Lamech was accused of murder and adultery, surely God would have mentioned it and dash but not a word was said against this man in the Bible text. We read that God destroyed 23,000 and his relates in one day because of their sin of fornication, see 1 Cor. 10, 1-9, but he let Lomek off without even a rebuke for having two wives. God had a man stoned to death because he gathered some sticks on the Sabbath day to make a fire. Zenum 1532-37 if God was so severe in such a minor crime, would he not have done something about a man who was guilty of polygamy or adultery? He could have at least mentioned it. Since Cain, who was guilty of murder, had a curse put upon his posterity as well as himself, then, 20, let's see if the same curse for the same broken commandment followed Lomek, especially if he were guilty of both murder and adultery. We will call on Reverend Summers to testify in Lamech's behalf, from his understanding of the King James translation. God did not even hint to Lamech that he had done anything wrong, but blessed him and his sons, and they became the most eminent men of that period. Lamech became the first poet the world ever produced, and to him was awarded the immortal honor of composing the first poetry which was recorded upon the sacred pages of God's Word. For in the Hebrew from which our Bible was translated, Lamech's language was in poetry. Two of his sons became the great heads of two leading branches of industry. And his other son became the great progenitor of all musicians. A leading accomplishment in every age. Indeed a careful examination of the scriptures shows that Lamech's sons attained more prominence than the sons of any other man had done for several generations. More prominence, too, than any did attain, for a number of generations afterwards. In fact, Lamech and his sons acquired more eminence in music, in poetry, in mechanics, and in pastoral pursuits, than any man and his sons did, during the first 1500 years of the world's history. We learn from these facts, that in the very beginning, God blessed polygamy, and the offspring of the man who had two wives. And the Bible tells us that, 21, God changes not. That with him there is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. See Malachi 3, 6, James 1, 17. When Lamech took those two wives, not one seventh part of Adam's life had passed, and from then until today, Polygamy has always been practiced. As the most learned of all Christian commentators remarks, from Lamech to the present day, polygamy has been retained, practiced and defended. Marriage, or, The Bible and Polygamy, by Rev. W.M.
D. Summers 13-14. Thus, it can be seen from the Bible that God did not curse Lamech for adultery or polygamy. As the nature of his polygamy is considered, we clearly see that God gave no word of reproof for it. If Lamech's polygamy was an honorable type of marriage, then we can understand why he was not condemned by God for it, just as Moses and many others were not condemned for living polygamy. More light is shed on this account of Lamech from another ancient record, more recently discovered. In Genesis 5.35 of the inspired version of the Bible, it states that Lamech became Master Mahan, master of a secret society to which Cain belonged. Lamech is accredited with killing the man for exposing the secrets of that satanic organization. Whether the man had made an oath to suffer the penalty of death if he should reveal those secrets, we do not know. We are not sure if Lamech killed this man in self-defense or if he was an appointed executioner 22 for unjustifiable crime or if he just took matters into his own hands and killed him because of what he considered the wrongful breaking of an oath. In conclusion, however, it is plainly evident that neither in the Bible nor in these other ancient texts came a word of reproof for the next polygamy. Therefore, from biblical facts, we must rest our case in defense of Lamech's practice of plural marriage and dash and conclude that it was not condemned by God. 23, chapter 4, Abraham and King of Imelech. Okay, now we'll get into the reading and the commentary portion of the program. Once again, if you have any questions about polygamy... The guest call-in number is 917-889-8827. That's 917-889-8827. If you have questions about restoration theology, you can uh, call in and I'll answer those questions after the commentary portion of this program. You can also go to blogtalkradio.com forward slash fundamentally Mormon from 6 p.m. to 8 p.m. Uh, Monday through Friday. And uh, you can use that platform to ask questions in the chat room. So let's get into the reading. Thank you for listening. Okay, so uh, Kent's going to be reading tonight. We're in Chapter 3 of Polygamy in the Bible. They make guilty or not guilty. Kim? Yep. On page 1,779 of Ensign to the Nations, uh, Volume 3. So continuing on with this book. But, uh, yeah. Polygamy in the Bible, page 14, um, chapter 3. Lemmit guilty or not guilty. Yeah, and, and we're reading 14 take... to 22. Sorry, 14 we're reading. 14 to 22, yeah. 14 to 22, yeah. Okay, I'll mute myself. Yeah. Okay. <clears throat> okay, so, and said to the judges, take heed what ye do. For ye judge not for a man, but for 
shepherd who is with you in the judgment. That is Second Chronicles um, chapter 19, verse 6. They did that different than normal. They just put 19.6. So, yeah. A questionable controversy exists in the life of the Bible's first recorded polygamist. His name is Lamech, or Lamech. <laughs> to properly judge this man and what he did requires a little sleuthing. Through the history and deductions of biblical scholars, information can be obtained as to Lamech's character, which can help in our justly condemning or approving of his actions. <clears throat> just saying um, sleuthing is just another way to say investigating, just in case. I know it's hard to uh, translate some things if you're listening into a different language. The first uncertainty of Lamech's life is in his lineage. In chapter 5 of Genesis, there is a line of genealogy from Adam and Seth down to the sons of righteous Noah, listing about a dozen of some of the most noble men that ever lived. Included in this record is Lamech, the father of Noah. He lived to be 777 years old and witnessed many important events of that time. A Lamech is also mentioned in Genesis chapter 4 as being the descendant of Cain. Among his accomplishments were mentioned the killing of a young man and the taking of two wives. Some scholars suggest that, Lamech's, that the Lamechs of Genesis 4 and 5 were identical, as this mentioned in the following references. This is on page 15. <clears throat> Zondervan's Encyclopedia of the Bible, Volume 3, page 862, quote, According to some critics, the Canaanite, or I'm sorry, the Canaanite Lemek of Genesis 4 and the Sethite Lemek of Genesis 5 were originally identical, with the two genealogies coming from one common legend or source, the J document, chapter 4 preserved one variant list, and the P document, chapter 5, preserved another. End quote. From Zondervan's Encyclopedia of the Bible, volume 3, page 862. Going right into another quote of a Bingham Bible Commentary, page 225, quote, It is interesting to compare this passage with the Canaanite genealogy in for. Here we have nine generations, there are six omitting the first three names in chapter 5, we find that of the remaining two, Enoch and Lamech, are identical with names in chapter 4. Well, there are close similarities in the rest. It is difficult to escape the suggestion that we have two dissensions of one and the same genealogy diverging at an early period and current in different circles, yet both springing from the same source. End quote from Abingdon Bible Commentary, page 225. Therefore, According to this information, these two limits should be considered as the same person. However, it seems more probable after closely studying the two, these two chapters of Genesis that there were two different and distinct individuals named Lemek coming through two different lineages. Both probably lived polygamy, but the written account in Genesis 4:19 of the taking of two wives pertains to the Canaanite Lemek. So let's look further into his life and experiences. There are only seven verses in the Bible from which we can draw the life of this story, uh, life story of this Lamech. As previously mentioned, he was the first recorded polygamist, but there probably were others before him, even though there is no record of them. There were thousands of monogamists too, but there is almost no mention of them specifically. From the creation of man to the time of the flood, a span of 1,600 years or 1,600 years, 
We could probably list, not, not list many, over a dozen who were recorded monogamous. It is because, oh, did you have anything to um, say? No, um, it's all pretty interesting stuff, and I don't really have anything to say about it. And the program's probably going to be short tonight because this isn't a very long chapter. And you read it faster than my reader program, but I can turn my reader program up, but you do read fast, so it is what it is. Is that you uh, telling me to calm down? No, I. you can read it as fast as you want. People understand you. You've got good pronunciation, although it is Lemach, not Lamech. <laughs> what did you say? You know, Lemech, you know, they... The Hebrew oh. pronunciation of words oh, the pronunciation? with the guttural, the ch, yeah. with the ch. It's just like Lichtenwalter, yeah. not Lichtenwalter, but it's just easier in English. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just joking with you. It's, oh, okay. It's, I thought you were telling me I, how to pronounce it correctly. Well, I mean, in, in Hebrew, they wouldn't pronounce it Lamech or Lamech or Lamech or whatever it is. They would say Lemech, but uh, yeah. Anyway, um, all of most of the names in the Bible are uh, transliterations of Hebrew because people couldn't pronounce uh, people's names. Like Jacob is Yahov, Yahov, David, not David. Anyway. I don't know. I just think all that stuff is fun and interesting, so I'll let you read. I'll just read myself. Okay. It is because of such gaps in biblical history that it is difficult to draw many absolute convictions to judge a man like Lamech. We must look into all the facts, incidents, and pieces of evidence just as a master criminal lawyer must do. As in many court cases today, the final verdict often comes as a surprise. The case against Lamech may be a similar case. For centuries, men have labeled Lemech with the twin crimes of murder and adultery. But we shall present this case with a court of last resort in his defense. There may be more to this man's lifestyle than meets the eye, especially to those who have been so quick to judge him because of his polygamy. Lemech made this comment to his two wives. Quote, I have slain a man to my wounding, and a young man to my hurt. Genesis chapter 4, verse 23. <clears throat> Many people who read this immediately assume that he was a murderer and an adulterer. A lying, allying the two together as twin crimes of Lamech. But to assume that Lamech is guilty of murder and therefore his polygamy was necessarily evil too is poor reasoning. If we would take this attitude, we could say that Adam, who supposedly was a monogamous, committed a sin that brought death to all mankind, therefore monogamy is evil. Or Cain, who was a monogamous and, um, and killed his brother, shows that monogamy is also evil. Hold on a second. Sorry, I was trying not to cough, so I had to mute it for one second. Page 17. But let us gather a little more insight into Lamech character and attitude concerning this allegation of murder. We will call upon the renowned Dr. Martin Luther, who gives the justification for this killing by Lamech. Or Lamech. 
<laughs> Luther's Works, Volume 1, page 322, quote, Lamech's very words show that he was a proud person who did not grieve over the murder he had committed, but even gloried in it as a righteous cause, and he had a righteous cause for the murder. Furthermore, Lamech tried to defend himself by establishing a law which would prove that he had a just cause for the murder he committed. End quote. That, again, is from Luther's Works, Volume 1, page 322. Luther is assuming that since a man was killed by Lamech, that it must have been a murder, although he recognizes a hint of self-justification for the killing. He also indicates that there was or should be a law to justify the killing of that young man. To help solve this mystery, we shall take the testimony of Dr. Adam Clark, who is perhaps recognized as the foremost scholar of, the, of Bible history, biblical history. Clark admits that the few verses and sayings of Lamech are controversial and his speech is very dark, but his analysis and interpretation provide a very revealing and important summary. The verse in question reads, quote, I have slain a man to my wounding and a young man to my hurt. But according to Dr. Clark, it should be read, I have slain a man for wounding me and a young man for bruising me. This would be a reason for Lamech's killing the young man. Dr. Clark continues to explain that Lamech had originally put this incident down into a poem, which probably would have read, and Lamech said unto his wives, Ada and Stilla, hear me my voice, wives of Lamech, hearken to my speech, for I have slain a man for wounding me, and a young man for having bruised me. If Cain shall be avenged sevenfold, also Lamech seventy and seven. Clark's Bible, er, Bible Commentary, Volume 1, page 62. Continuing Dr. Clark's explanation. Okay. Um, so some people allege that Lamech was prideful and he didn't have any guilt or any thought about the man that he killed. But um, what I was thinking is that he wouldn't have mentioned it if he didn't have some kind of remorse about it. And it was probably uh, either self-defense or maybe it was an act of rage in the fact that this young man hurt him. I don't know. But I don't think that he would have um, mentioned it in this a poem that he wrote, which is added in the scripture, if it wasn't for the fact that he was thinking about it and he was remorseful. Um, another thing, too, is like we get this book from uh, the book of Genesis, or Bereshit in Hebrew, from uh, Moses, but Moses didn't write it down because he knew about it. God actually is the one that wrote the first book of, of of Moses, which is Genesis. God gave this to Moses because um, God wanted the people to know about it. And if he put it in the scriptures, then he wanted people to know about the polygamy and also about um, what Lamech did. 
which maybe could have been the second killing of an individual. Of course, we don't know because Adam and Eve had many children. Cain was the first murderer, but Lamech may have been the first to kill in self-defense. But God didn't, like, condemn Lamech for his lifestyle either. And one last thing, I'm on the mind road, but um, if these things, if polygamy, because that's what we're covering, really, and Lamech was the first polygamist that we know of, um, but God never condemned polygamists. He could have told them right out in Torah, do not, do not, but he didn't. And I believe that when uh, when God gave the laws to Moses, that he was just restoring laws that had already existed uh, on a foundational level. And that's what that's where we get these these laws in the scriptures from. Anyway, go ahead. I'm going into the void on the minor road, so I'll mute myself again. Yep. Um. I'll continue reading. Um, I was just going to say, so I was thinking about this and trying to read ahead and, and behind, and I'm thinking, why out of all the people um, to contend, why are we using Lemek um, to contend for polygamy? Because <laughs> uh, I can think of a few other ones who are, um, you know, way better uh, to use well, as we'll an example over. as to why God didn't like it. Well, I did. I know. I see that now. I, like, flipped it ahead, and I was like, what about Abraham? Oh, there's Abraham. What about Sarah and Hagar? Oh, okay, they're in here too. So I was like thinking, what? <laughs> Why are we Lamech doing this guy and nobody else? I know, Lamech now I understand that, but I wasn't paying attention, I think, at the beginning. Yeah. So, yep. yeah, there's like the promises of him. Then there's Jacob, which is also, yeah. So, like, I just, you know, so now that makes more sense to me. <laughs> in case anybody else is just getting here to the, to the you know, reading and to the show, I guess. <laughs> That's what's going on. We're not using him as a um, only. We're going to go over all of it. <laughs> so stay tuned, right? Yep. Okay. Um, yep. Also, just FYI, I know I'm a fast reader. I don't try to be. It just is how it is. Um, so if you want to call in and if you have anything that you need to say, now would be the time to do it. I know I am on page 18. I have to read to 22. This is only going to take me probably five minutes. So. Um, and if he's going up the mine road, then even if I, you know, read really slowly, um, yeah, if there is nobody who's calling in, then um, we will just have to end the program because I don't have a whole lot to say about this one specific person um, <laughs> when it comes to polygamy. So I'm just, like, letting everybody know ahead of time. The um, call-in number is 917-889-8827. Again, let me say it slower, 917-889-8827. And um, I'll continue reading uh, for this, but I'm not going to be reading for a long time. Oh, Arius is playing with his fun truck right here. So you can hear it probably beeping. Arius, don't push the button. It's fine. I can, I've been <laughs> I able to time it. I don't hear it. Okay, it's not bad. He keeps pushing the backup button because it's running over him and he thinks it's funny. Oh, do you have your headset on? Okay. Yep, I do have my headset on. So can you hear it? Or I can kind of hear him, but it's not bad. 
Okay. Sounds good. And he needs his uh, tool because he's fixing his car. <laughs> okay. Continuing. Okay, Dr. Clark <laughs> in Clark's Bible Commentary, Volume 1, page 62, quote, It is supposed that Lemek had slain a man in his own defense and that his wives being alarmed lest the kindred of the deceased should seek his life in return to quiet their fears. He makes this speech in which he endeavors to prove that there was no room for fear on his account. For if the slayer of the willful murderer Cain should suffer a sevenfold punishment, surely he who should kill Lemek for having slain a man in self-defense might expect a 77-fold punishment. End quote from Clark's Bible Commentary, Volume 1, page 62. This clarifies the 77-fold punishment that Lamech was talking about. There is apparently no other explanation as the meaning of that verse. So it is evident that the poem had literal and correct translation. Lamech, therefore, had a justifiable reason for what he did. It is interesting to look at the early history of sin and its consequences upon man, page 19. A, the first sin of the Bible was eating forbidden fruit. The penalty was death, pain, sorrow, and weeds. The effect still lingers on. B, the second sin was Cain killing Abel. The consequence was being a fugitive, a vagabond, and the earth would not yield its strength, and his children would also suffer the same consequences. And C, the next supposed sin was that of Lamech having two wives. Polygamy already showed up in the first book of the Bible, and as early as the fourth chapter, but the good book is silent about this being a sin. In those early days, God would bless, bless or punish his children as soon as they obeyed or disobeyed his commandments. It was particularly important that he do so since so many generations thereafter would use those histories as a guide. Since was accused of murder and adultery, surely God would have mentioned it. But not a word was said against this man in the Bible text. We read that God destroyed 23,000 Israelites in one day because of their sin of fornication. See 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 1 through 9. But he let Lemek off without even a rebuke for having two wives. God had a man stoned to death because he gathered some sticks on the Sabbath day to make a fire. See Numbers chapter 15, verses 32 through 37. If God was so severe in such a minor crime, would he not have done something about a man who was guilty of polygamy or adultery? He could have at least mentioned it since Cain, who was guilty of murder, had a curse put upon his posterity as well as himself then, Let's see if the same curse for the same broken commandment followed Lamech, especially if he were guilty of both murder and adultery. We would call on Reverend Summers to testify on Lamech's behalf from his understanding of the King James translation. This quote is coming from Marriage or the Bible and Polygamy by Reverend W.M.D. Summers, pages 13 and 14. Quote, God did not even hint to Lamech that he had done anything wrong, but blessed him and his sons, and they became the most eminent men of that period. Lamech became the first poet the world ever produced, and to him was awarded the immortal honor of composing the first poetry, which was recorded upon the sacred pages of God's word. For in the Hebrew for, from which our Bible was translated, Lamech's language was in poetry. 
Two of his sons became the great heads of two leading branches of industry, and his other son became a great progenitor of all musicians. A leading accomplishment in every age, indeed, a careful examination of the scripture shows that when his sons attained more prominence than the sons of any other man had done for several generations, more prominence too than any did attain. For a number of generations afterward, in fact, Lamech and his sons acquired more eminence in music and poetry and mechanics and in pastoral pursuits than any man and his sons did during the first 1,500 years of the world's history. We learn from these facts that in the very beginning, God blessed polygamy and the offspring of a man who had two wives, and the Bible tells us that God changes not, that with him there is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. See Malachi chapter 3, verse 6, James chapter 1, verse 17. When Lamech took those two wives, not one-seventh part of Adam's life had passed, and from then until today, polygamy has always been practiced. As the most learned of all Christian commentators remarked, from Lamech to the present day, polygamy has been retained, practiced, and defended. End quote. That's from Marriage or the Bible and Polygamy by Reverend W.M.D. Summers, pages 13 through 14. I don't know if you can hear or wanted to say anything before I read the, conclu- the ending. Because I know that you uh, are. Yeah. I'm on the right now, so can you hear me? Yeah, I can. Mm-hmm. Uh, two things. Um, people who do scholarly research and theologians, when they want to understand what God thinks on a topic, they always go to the first mention. And this is the first mention. Um, and God did not condemn Lamech for his polygamy. Number two, um, The reason why God was so strict with the people in the beginning is because he was laying out the groundwork and the examples for what other people should follow in the future. And like with gathering sticks after they were specifically told not to work on the Sabbath, like that was a big deal because it's first mention. If you want to know what God thinks about a situation, you go to the first mention. With this, this is first mentioned. And Lamech was not condemned for his plural marriage. So uh, just taking that into consideration for people who um, might have a problem with polygamy, I understand that this is not the culture that most of us were raised in. But to try to twist Jacob chapter 2 out of context and say that all polygamy is an evil, horrible abomination flies in the face of what God has said in the past. And um, I'll go back to the 1832 revelation. They were placed under condemnation in part for treating the former revelations, the former instructions lightly and so when you out there the individuals who decide to uh, twist something out of context which contradicts other scripture is treating the word of God lightly 
Now, I understand that the Deuteronomists did things. I understand that even more than people who know what I'm talking about understand it. Because in the book of Lehi, which I have, and I am not releasing because people are not ready to hear what it has to say, we are told that there was a school of the prophets with Lehi and Jeremiah and a whole bunch of other prophets, and they kept the Torah, and they had God's instructions separate from the leadership of the Jews. And there was a time when this King Josiah, who was a very young man, was king, and lo and behold, one of the high priests in the temple found one of the scrolls that was hidden away in some cavity. And before they released it to the people and did this great reform, they went and they had a council. And when Lehi and Jeremiah saw what they had written, um, they, it, didn't, it didn't match up with God's true commandments or true Torah. They had added many vain and foolish things through uh, the high priests and the, um, hold on, the, this immature king that God never gave to Moses. And uh, so I understand that. I don't understand. I don't know exactly what the, all of the commandments were because we actually have to go and get revelation for each individual thing to try to understand what God's true commandments were then. But I can guarantee you that the 613 laws in the Old Testament are, they're just, uh, there's a lot of them that are not from God. And, um, so when people throw the Bible under the bus and they say, oh, De- the Deuteronomists, they did a thing. Hold on. Let it coming down. Oh, um, I understand that even more because I have the book of Lehi. But I also understand through Revelation, because of a vision that God gave me on a whole bunch of stuff, why God instituted plural celestial marriage and why there is a foundation for it in the lower laws or the Mosaic laws. There is a reason for it. And um, like I said, unless God gives revelation, monogamy should be what we do. There's other reasons for polygamy that were cultural for the times, but there is a very high, very high spiritual law, which has to do with something with um, filling by the Holy Spirit of promise in that in order to go into the heavens and in order to receive your full exaltation, a man must be sealed to a woman and a woman must be sealed to a man. And because there are many more elect women than there are men, God allows plural celestial marriage or these sealings. There's also sealings for the law of adoption where Joseph Smith was the man on the earth who was filled up to the heavens 
and people were sold to him. And so when you understand the law of adoption, you understand who Joseph Smith was, you understand why it is said that we all have to be sealed all the way in the link back to Adam. Because Joseph Smith was. He may not have had all of his genealogy done, but he didn't need it because he was sealed to the Father when he received his calling and election through the Son. So uh, there's a lot of stuff that we don't know about uh, the Restoration because Brigham Young destroyed the records. And people altered things, and they got rid of things. I mean, we even know that the president of the church, Joseph F. Smith, I think it was, cut out some some documents about the first vision because he didn't want people knowing about the first vision or all of it anyway, you know, but because uh, they have a ner- they have a narrative and they want to, they want, they don't want to tell you the truth about everything. They want you to follow their narrative, even if they leave out the truth. Because so, they're more concerned with power and authority than they are with the restoration. So anyway, um, I'm going back down into the voided area. I can probably hear you most of the way down, but I know I break up a lot, so I'll just mute myself. Okay, finishing it up. Thus it can be seen from the Bible that God did not curse Lamech for adultery or polygamy, as the nature of his polygamy is considered. We clearly see that God gave no word of reproof for it. If Lamech's polygamy was an honorable type of marriage, then we can understand why he was not condemned by God for it, just as Moses, him and others were not condemned for living polygamy. More light is shed on this account of Lamech's from another ancient record more recently discovered. In Genesis chapter 5, verse 35 of the inspired version of the Bible, it states that Lamech became master Mahan. Master of a secret society to which Cain belonged. Lamech is accredited with killing the man for exposing the secrets of that satanic organization. Whether the man had made an oath to suffer the penalty of death, if he should reveal those secrets, we do not know. We are not sure if Lamech killed this man in self-defense or if he was an appointed executioner for a justifiable crime or if he just took matters into his own hand and killed him because of what he considered the wrongful breaking of an oath. In conclusion, however, it is plainly evident that neither in the Bible nor in these other ancient texts came a word of reproof for Lamech's polygamy. Therefore, from Bible biblical facts, we must rest our case in defense of Lamech's practice of plural marriage and conclude that it was not condemned by God. And that's the end of that chapter. Next time we'll be in chapter 4, Abraham and King Ablamech. On page 23. Abimelech. Or, I'm sorry. Abimelech. Abimelech. All right. So. I don't know. I don't know where the uh, the pronunciation umlaut thingies or whatever goes on the words. It just says Abimelech. 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 All right. Yeah, I don't so, know. I'm the one who says Kanoko instead of Kanoko. I don't know. Kanoko. Oh, yeah. Well, I know. You know how I am with syllables. 
Well, you know how I switch up syllables when I'm tired. And everybody laughs because yeah. I sound so ridiculous. <laughs> okay, so um, I do want to say, uh, now that we're done with this part of the reading, um, so every Monday and Tuesday night there is a Zoom call, which everybody is invited to, which you can find information at doctrineofchrist.com. Uh, go to Zoom meeting and then click on the link and you can participate in the meeting, which is every Monday and Tuesday night at 8 p.m., which is part of the reason why we do this at 6 p.m., 6 to 8, so that I don't step on their time and I can participate with them. Um, But I know a lot of people flip out about this group because they have some things that they teach, which I don't agree with. Uh, But there's 99% I do agree with. And I think it's good to understand some of the stuff that they're trying to teach. So I promote the group, but I have some issues with some of the stuff that they talk about. Mainly um, Section 124 where Jesus says... Try to turn this radio down. Anyway, um, one of the big things that they teach is that the Melchizedek priesthood was taken away at the Isaac Morley farm. Um, I don't agree with that. Um, They try to use Section 124 to justify that because Jesus said, build a temple whereby the Most High can come to other and that he might restore the fullness which is lost unto you or that which is taken away even the fullness of the priesthood. Um, Okay, so the reason I have a problem with that is because, for one, um, Jesus says build it for the Most High that he might restore. Uh, For two, you cannot come into the presence of the Father unless you have the Melchizedek priesthood, and that applies to women, too, because there is matriarchal priesthood, which is a, uh, it's part of the Melchizedek priesthood. Men and women have priesthood. Um, Number three, um, I couldn't have come into the presence of the Father and seen them face to face if I did not have priesthood. And I got it. I got the Melchizedek priesthood. It would have been a, it would have had to have been a vision, and I would have had to have it restored to me. Now, I think they're trying to say that, like it's been restored to the earth and the, all this stuff, you know. Well. It was never taken, but there is stuff that they don't understand, which I I can't really get into in the group because I have to lay out a foundation for them to understand, and it's just not going to happen. But there's a lot of good things about the group. Now, people want to say that they are like QAnon. They're not. And that they're like these Trump conspiracy theorists. I've actually, there was a lady that I was... Um, talking to on Facebook today who was like, I've been in the group for so many times and, and they were all QAnon, blah, blah, blah. They never even talked about QAnon. I've been on the group for over a year. I've been in the Facebook group, Doctrine of Christ. So, I mean, I don't know where they're coming up with this stuff. And the reason they're doing that is because they don't like what Gil Davis is talking about as far as the church being rejected. 
and they want to try to like lump him in with Denver Snuffer, then I'm sorry. If he's pointing out some stuff that is really close to the truth, which I disagree with to a point, but I also can read it in the text that it said Jesus said if these things don't happen, you will be rejected as a church with your dead. And I'm not going to call Jesus a liar, and I know that the things that he said would happen if they were obedient. None of that happened, and all the stuff that he said would happen if they were disobedient, all of that did happen. But but the doctrine of Christ people want to say that Jesus has to restore the fullness of the priesthood when it's clearly Jesus talking to Joseph Smith in the 1841 Revelation and telling Joseph that he has to build a temple where the Most High can come to other in, that he, the Father, who is the Most High, can come and restore that again which was lost unto you or that which was taken away, even the fullness of the priesthood. So, uh, we have some other disagreements about some things. But you know what? Um, Joseph wouldn't have made a man an offender for believing too much. He, um, anybody who, this is what I believe Joseph Smith would have taught, and I'll just teach it to you because this is what I will teach. If you were taught by true prophets, they would teach you how to get revelation for yourself and not to trust in them, but to go to God with everything. The elect cannot be led astray by false doctrine because the elect will go to God and get revelation for themselves. So when somebody has some false doctrine or some false things that they believe, I, I'm not going to flip out about that too much because I know that people can hear from God about the matter. And that if these individuals are still working through some stuff, then everybody's on the path. You know, we're all trying to figure it out. But you know what? These guys, they teach 99% good stuff, and I think it's beneficial. And I'm happy to be part to be part of the program now. One of the main presenters, who is always on the calls on Monday and Tuesday night, he made a documentary, very, very well uh, made documentary. You can find it on Vimo. It is Who Killed Joseph Smith, and. The stuff that is presented in this information is the theories that people have about Carthage and then taking the forensic evidence that we have the technology of now and going back and looking at the clothes and the bullet holes in the door and a bunch of other stuff. We're looking at it, and he has come to a conclusion that something doesn't add up with John Taylor or Wilfred Woodruff's accounts of what they said happened, and they were the only two men in the room. The evidence shows that they cannot, they they made stuff up, and they did it because they were covering up what really happened. And I have not prayed about it yet, 
because I am still mulling over it in my mind that this documentary was released on Friday, the 13th of January, and my daughter, no, it's Thursday, the 13th of January, 2022. And it's shocking. And I've watched it four times now, or listened to it and watched it. And I had Kim watch it with me once. And there's people that are reviewing the movie and critiquing it based on their emotions. What I want people to do is review it based on logic and facts. And if the facts are that the forensic evidence shows the bullets went one way and Hiram got shot in the face with a musket, but it didn't blow out the back of his head, and there's just a whole bunch of stuff, and I would suggest going and watching the documentary. Just because John Taylor and uh, and um, Brigham Young live polygamy doesn't mean I live it. I live it. I don't live it. <laughs> but I accept the doctrine because I have had very powerful, specific revelations on the subject, and I understand why God allows it. Um, so, like with this documentary... The other thing, too, is these men knew what Joseph Smith taught, and we talked about that when we were reading the Adam God book. Um, but I also understand that fully because God has showed me a ton of stuff. And they weren't just dreams, and they weren't just imaginations. They were God taking me out. Like sometimes I'd be resting, you know, in the back of my semi-truck, thinking about things, just laying down. And I was taken up in the spirit, and God took me and showed me visions of the past and explained things to me. I I didn't try to force any of that. I just asked a lot, asked all the time, why this, why that? And I bugged the crap out of God, and he showed me things when I was ready for it. And um, I have tried to justify certain things. I do know that God told me that Brigham was his servant, that he was not the Lord's anointed. Uh, But I also know that Brigham Young and John Taylor hated each other. They got in fistfights. And John Taylor even said one time that he hates Brigham Young, but he respects the office, his office, you know? So, I mean, there was division in the 12 because of stuff that happened in Nauvoo and other things, too. But um, I tried to justify one way, uh, up one way and down another. Um, But I know that Jesus Christ said that he would reject the church with their dead. And I know taking a careful look at history and the revelation that exactly what happened, what happened was exactly what Jesus said would happen if they were rejected. And I don't know how all these things work and are put together. I don't understand the whole puzzle of it. But I know that the church was rejected, at least in part. And if things happen the way that Justin Griffin is saying that they did, 
which he lays it out, then I think that we should study it to the best of our ability and take it to God after we have studied it out. I don't just take something to God that I just found out. That's why I haven't prayed about it yet. I'm mulling it over. I'm looking at the evidence. And I will take it to God when it's time for me to take it to God. And I'm asking God to inspire me so that I understand what is being said so that my mind and eyes can be opened so that I can receive a confirmation when I have come to a determination on whether John Taylor and Willard Richards did the thing that is presented in this documentary. But to tell you the truth, there are some things that just make sense that Justin brings up. And these individuals who want to review this based on their emotions and their ignorance, it's not helpful and you're not you're not going to defend anything without like this one review I read today. I've read the account of Joseph Smith and Carthage many times. And like like she's bringing it up like that makes her an expert on it. But she also said, I've been in this group and they're all QAnon conspiracy theorists and Trump supporters and all this they never talk about that stuff in the Zoom calls or on uh, the Facebook page that I've seen or in on the website. But this individual wants to try to make herself into some kind of authority, and she's lying to her through her teeth. And then when I questioned her on it, she, like, gave me somebody else's article about the group. So I was like, so you're basically saying hearsay hearsay to you. You haven't actually been in the group because if you had been in the group you wouldn't say the things that you say. And it gets back to lying for the Lord. Guess what? Lying for the Lord is still lying. Period. End of story. And I do want to hear people's uh, rebuttals to what has been presented But Jesus did reject the church with their dead in the 1840s before Joseph was taken, and I know that. And it doesn't surprise me that that the 12 would have done, or some people, because William Law was an enemy to Joseph Smith. Sidney uh, Rigdon was an enemy. There were multiple leaders that were enemies from time to time, so why is it such a big deal that John Taylor and Willard Richards would be an enemy just because they became presidents and leaders in the church after they left, you know, but I just, where do the facts lead? And after we studied out to get the best, um, uh, I don't know, after we studied out to get revelation on it, and I suggest people watch the documentary, it's going to be hard. Um, am I breaking up at all, Kim? No, I can hear you loud and clear. Okay. I usually break up in this dip here, so sometimes I don't, though. But um, now, if you're just a cultural Mormon and you just listen to these programs because you like to learn... Yeah, but you really love being in the church and you don't care about it. Because I know there's a lot of people out there who 
they feast on the pride that they feel from being the most knowledgeable per- knowledgeable person in the classroom. Classroom, and it has nothing to do with Zion's redemption. Has nothing to do with truth. It has to do with being a part of a social club. Hey, if you're that guy or that gal, then don't watch the documentary because you're not going to like what you see. But people who are interested in the truth, they should they should watch it. I suggest they watch it. And uh, Kim, did you have any? comments about the documentary I know you've only watched it once because you just don't have time um, yeah I only watched it once it was kind of confusing so we had to rewind it for a second and go back and read it again because it was kind of confusing at first um, very convincing well, obviously you were but dist- you were distracted yeah I have I have five kids and all of them ask me stuff so dad sits in the chair next to me None of them go to him. They all come and ask they me do too. for everything. Arius <laughs> is trying to That's sit what, with me. Uh-huh. And, like, Amberly kept coming over every five seconds. Right now, um, they're, you know, they're doing their chores. They're up cleaning their room. And they sent Arius down with the walkie-talkie so that they could ask me questions because <laughs> they can't even <laughs> do that without, you know, me being right there doing it. So they're, it's actually funny. I don't know. Um, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, it's but why, I I did interrupt you. What were you going to say? Oh, I was just going to say, so that was, um, I wouldn't say I'm a guru on it or anything. I mean, that guy obviously did a lot of research, um, and um, obviously I would just have to read that I looked at his documentary and what he thought. Definitely a plausible thing, especially since everybody else is trying to explain it to their own liking. Um, I would always... Well, uh, they you know, take what he church. said and, like, take it to God. Maybe that is what happened, you know. Yeah, everybody's like, Yeah, he is a oh, church well, member. I knew that. Well, this guy got, he was actually excommunicated that, um, for the video because it's damning. It's bad. But uh, the other individuals with their theories that he went to, they're all in the church, and they, their theories do not line up with the evidence. They're trying to preserve the good name of John Taylor and Willard Richards and the authority claims of the LDS Church, which they belong to. So they're very biased. Justin Griffin was a member of the LDS Church. The Carthage problem was something he was really interested in. Looking at the evidence, it didn't match up. It didn't make sense. So he went in on a full-on dive bomb under this onto the evidence and, and presents um, forensic evidence which disproves the first-hand accounts of Willard Richards and John Taylor, which is weird because why would they say things that weren't true unless they were covering something up? You can justify it up one way and down the other, but the, the first-hand account doesn't match the forensic evidence. And so he continued to dig deeper and deeper and deeper, and he presents his theory about what happened. And I know that people think they're they're trying to find holes. I think it makes a solid case. And understanding that God did reject the church in the 1840s, 
they make sense. So I, I would suggest people go and take a look at that. You can find it at Vimeo. It's V-I-M-E-O dot com. And then type in who killed Joseph Smith. And prepare to watch it a couple times if you're interested in trying to understand. And it's not hard to understand. It's just it, it, it'll rock your world. And I can't wait to hear people that actually can rebuke or uh, give a good rebuttal, not based on emotions like all of the reviews that I've read today, but based on facts. And I don't think the rebuttal can really be made without trying to justify something or twist something around. I think Justin Griffin makes a rock-solid case. And, uh, you know, if, if we are built on the sandy, uh, the sandy foundation of speculation and not on the rock of revelation, like how are we supposed to know that we need to repent or how are we supposed to know if we trust somebody so much that we keep on going to them to quote them about what they say about a thing and they're wrong or whatever and we don't go and get revelation for ourselves then that's a sandy, a sandy um, foundation of speculation. We need to be built on the rock of revelation. So It looks like Kim's call dropped. Kim, are you there? Anyway, the guest call-in number is 917-889-8827. I'm going to wait for just a minute until Kim calls back in because the ending music yesterday, and I lectured Emmett about this, he's like in the office watching the studio. He's not today because he's in trouble. That's why he's not on. But um, we took all of his electronics from him and everything. So, and told him he can't go to his, like, clubs that he likes to go to because he's in trouble. Trouble. Anyway, but, um, so yesterday, and it's not, it has nothing to do with the radio show. It just has to do with him lying to my face uh, and trying to gaslight me on some things that he said he did. And when I told him, But I told him uh, certain things today, and he, well, I don't want to get into it. It's, it's, he has Asperger's, and uh, so he's in trouble. Anyway, but yesterday when he was watching the studio, he was supposed to be watching the studio. And when I... I just had uploaded the end of music again because I accidentally deleted it last week. I pushed one button, and for some reason, it didn't push the button that I pushed on the studio. It, it, like The other button, uh, it just erased the music. So I re-recorded it, and uh, it's at full blast max. If you listened to the program yesterday, you know. And... Um, Oh, and Emma had a headset on yesterday, and his ears would have got blown out like mine was blown out. And he's sitting in front of the studio, and he has all the volume controls, which I ha- I can't control. I can see it on my phone, 
but I can't control it. So I kind of lectured him, why, why didn't you turn it down? Like it was way too high. It needed to be turned down, you know. Anyway, um, but hold on here. I don't know why my wife is not calling back in, but I don't want to play the end music like I did yesterday and just have it blow out our eardrums again, and I can't control it, and they're supposed to be on the studio, so I don't know. My wife's gone, so I guess we'll just end the program with no music. Um, When we come back on tomorrow... um, We're going to be in chapter 4 on page 23 of Polygamy in the Bible, and it'll be Abraham and King Abimelech. And I actually did the full uh, reader portion and commentary on that program that we're going to be covering tomorrow because my wife is going to be, um, I think she's going to be at a church thing. Um, I didn't finish it all. Like I've got to, I still have to finish it, but the majority of it has been done, and hopefully, I can uh, finish it. And then, uh, so we will not be taking calls during the program to go live on the air. But I will be watching the studio, and if anybody calls in, I will answer the call and bring them into the screening room, so that. Uh, I can ask him what their questions or comments are, and then after the reading is over with, I'll be able to speak live on the program and uh, and address any questions or comments that anybody has. So, all right, well, I think we're done with the program for today. Thank you for listening, everyone. Take care. God bless. And goodbye.